we're asking that you would annihilate our apathy and that you would give us a micro-nutrient-rich smoothie to fortify the muscles of our faith where they've atrophied so that we can believe what is true, so that we can be alert and awake and self-controlled and we can be those who encourage and build each other up with all manner of respect and expectancy, with all manner of kindness and annihilation, a contempt annihilating mercy. Will you help us today? We need you to bolster us in a new way. We need you to speak with freshness. So do that just because you're very fond of us. We don't know what's best for us, but sometimes we act as if we do. Surprise us with what's best, even now. Come, Lord Jesus, we invite you. Amen. It's easy, isn't it, to to think sometimes, are we crazy to believe some of these things that we believe? The people around us have a certain set of values, a certain set of expectations that are inviolable. They are operating in such a way and they've been they've been plastered on television and on the interwebs and in government and in schools in such a way that if you counter them or come at things from any different viewpoint, it's easy to start imagining that you must be a wackadoo, that you must be Insane. The Apostle Paul in this letter, written to people like you, just they were wearing different kinds of shoes and they drove a different kind of car. But they were people alive like you. He wrote this letter that they were then charged to listen to as an entire congregation so that they could digest it together like a, like a big fellowship meal. Because he wanted them to realize in the face of some very unsettling occurrences that what they believed was actually true, worth hanging on to, and something to be alert about. Because very often, you feel like you're the one asleep and the people around you are the ones who are in the know. They're the ones who are awake and we think, what am I missing? I'm missing something here. We're doing this thing wrong. It reminds me of a ditty that I used to share quite often with our children. I'm trying to make sure that the whole canon of important pop songs from Western civilization are imparted to my children at night. So I sing them such spiritual hits as, you know, from Johnny Cash and Charlie Daniels Band. I want to make sure they know what's important as they drift off to dream, as Travis Tritt once said. Travis Tritt, that's a blast from your 80s past. Well, Dave Wilcox had this little ditty that I always liked. It envisions the same kind of thing, this same kind of sense where the apostle is saying, don't be like others. Let us not be like others who are asleep. He's saying people who are not in response to God are asleep. But most of the time, it feels like the opposite. And so Wilcox imagines Mother Mary saying, Wake up, she said. 
You dreaming fool. Don't throw your life away because life's too short and you're too smart to want to hurt yourself that way. Now, what's this talk about the fellow man? It's catch as catch can. Understand? Hustle and struggle and get what you can or you'll never get anywhere at all, young man. And what's this talk about loving everybody and trying to be a neighbor and helping out your brother? Well, that's fine, but you're getting a little carried away. That's what she'd say. Now, I'm not saying that love ain't fine, but every little thing's got its place and time. There's people out there who want what's mine, and they're going to try and take it away. So save your love. Somebody likes this. That's good. So save your love for those who care. Buy some clothes. Wash your hair. Just relax. Don't you dare start dreaming about saving the world. And Jesus said, yes, mom. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, cheery person in the, who's small and I can't even see you who laughed. That makes me feel heartened. And I'm not being facetious. There is this sense, isn't there? If you start to take any of this too seriously, that people around you are going to slow you down and say, wake up. Don't you know how life works in the real world? There's people out there who want what's yours and they're going to try and take it away. You need to preserve your life. You need to watch out for you. You need to be assertive. You need to live as if the world depends on you, as if the future has no God in it. You need to nurse your responsibility disorders. Because everything depends on you. If you're going to be wise. Because it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. You can't operate this Christian stuff in your business or in your... You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have dirt on your fingernails. You gotta know how to make your way. Wake up, she said, you dreaming fool. And the apostle would say, well, to a group of people who were worried, maybe did the, did the resurrection already happen? Did, why are some of our people dying? This bit about Jesus coming back to restore all things and to get us, is that, has that already happened? What's ha- why are our people dying? They're, they're a little disconcerted here. And the apostle Paul is trying to settle them down, to walk them back off the cliff. And in the process, he says, look, you guys need to know that this day of the Lord that we're talking about, which is going to be awful, awful, awful news for anybody who lives in utter apathy to God. For anybody who's pushed him away forever and ever, it's going to be terrible. Because pushing God away is the same thing as destroying yourself. I saw recently a story about a father who came home and saw his 11-year-old son being abused in a most heinous way by an 18-year-old man. And the reason I saw the story, because there was a picture by the byline of the man's face. He had been beaten to a pulp by the man's father. The perpetrator of the crime had had justice enacted instantly by the father. And when I was reading the story, no charges were brought against this father, interestingly enough. And when I was reading the comments, because I, I sometimes read the comments because I'm wanting to grow in wisdom, and any story on the internet has a profound amount of wisdom from comments. I can't tell you how much I've grown in the Spirit of the Lord as I've read these. But I did kind of, I was kind of curious, what, how do people react to this? And in general, every single comment was something like this. Way to be a great dad. Any dad who loved his son would have done the same exact thing. 
And of course, that's the way the Apostle Paul would say, this is, this is Jesus' position about the things that destroy human life. He is against them. He is aggressively, antagonistically against the things that, that destroy human flourishing. And so in the end, if you push away the benevolent king forever and ever and ever again, you are saying, I want to be destroyed. I want to be destroyed. I want destruction. And Paul says, you'll get it. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. We hear this and we think, huh. That can't be right. That sounds crazy. The only people we hear talking like this are people who actually do seem crazy. They have strange hair and extra shiny teeth. And we think, how could anybody's teeth be like that on TV? And here they are telling us about this, and they always seem to be kind of glad. And it just seems wrong, doesn't it? And... Soren Kierkegaard envisions, though, he says, there's a story. He says, a, a clown was backstage where a, a fire broke out at the theater, at this play. And the clown came out to the crowd and he said, there's a fire! And the crowd thought it was so wonderful that they applauded him. And he came back again as the fire grew and he said it with even more gusto. There's a fire! There's a fire! And they only increase their acclaim. Well done! Bravo! And Kierkegaard says, to me, this is how I imagine that the world itself will end. With prophets telling us of its demise and the world laughing and clapping as if it's a joke. And see, the apostle would say, look, brothers, you're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So don't be like everybody else. Here's the thing. Everybody who is framing their lives without reference to God, without reference to the fact that one day, one day, the person that we've never met in person, who is the best there ever was, who can heal everything that's ever gone wrong, is going to return for us and for this world. So we don't have to be afraid, he says. So wake up. Don't live like everybody else. That's what he says. Don't be like everyone else. You know, Dave Ramsey has a little adage if you've ever listened to him. I used to listen to him years ago. And he says something like, if you, if you, wanna, if you don't want to live like everyone else, you can't live like everyone else. Or something like that. His idea is, he's talking about financial terms. He said, if you want to get eventually where you're in the kind of position where you're wealthy and you're not living broke and you're not highly in debt, then you can't now keep living like everyone else because everyone you know is broke and they're in debt. So if you keep living like them, you're going to be like them. But if you want to live like no one else, you can't live like anyone else. And the apostle is basically saying, wake up. You're the ones who are awake. You're the children of the day. You're the children of the light. People who are living as if God is not there, as if God will not be there. People who don't take God into account, who are ignoring His Son Jesus, they, they're in the dark. They're the ones who are asleep. And isn't it easy to imagine us kind of 
clapping and saying, isn't that cute? All that stuff about Jesus returning. (laughs) Aren't we past that, really? Well, the apostle wasn't past it. And so he, he urges at the end of this chapter 11, he urges this for these folks. He said, you be awake. Do not live like everyone else. He says, therefore, and there's, there's only going to be seven points today. And the first one goes like this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And then the second point is going to be similar to the first. Therefore, encourage one another. And build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And then the third point is going to be very similar to points one and two. Encourage one another, therefore, and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And point four is going to be much like it, so is five. Therefore, encourage each other. Can you see what's happening here? Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And points six and seven are going to be, therefore, encourage each other. The Apostle knows if we're going to be an awake community, the children of light together, if we're going to frame our lives according to this coming reality, which changes the way we live today, because we believe there is a God-full future, just like we have believed there's a God-full present and a God-changed past, erasing, redeeming all the gunk, the indifference, the mildew of stained regret on our lives. He's taken all that away and it takes each other this body these people together to help each other stay awake to help each other not live like everyone else because see two of our biggest enemies i think at this present moment and i don't i'm not alone in thinking this are apathy and atrophy those both start with a apathy is when you just don't care. Nothing's worth doing. You stand at a distance. You mock things. You stand at a distance and poke holes at things. You stand at a distance and can find the humor and the ridiculousness of everything, but you give yourself to nothing. Atrophy is this whole idea that things break down. Your faith, when not exercised, your, your faith will become emaciated, kind of like if you've ever had a cast on your leg and you formerly had a calf muscle and you take that cast off after eight weeks and you might have a calf on your left leg and your right leg is just a bone with some skin around it. Your muscle just evaporated. It atrophied. It went away. Apathy comes on us very easily because we've been burned. Because we've hoped and what we hoped for didn't come as quickly or in the way that we had thought it might. We've, we've been expected, but we get no reinforcement because after all, Warren Buffett isn't asking us to make our investment choices based on the reality of Jesus making all things new. And Senator Kerry, the Secretary of State, and Rachel Maddow or Sean Hannity, none of these people who are in the know, who tell us things that are important, ever mention any of these things that the Apostle Paul say. So it becomes difficult for us to keep caring, I think. 
the broad narrative of our world isn't reinforcing any of it. So it's easy to just kind of give up. And it's easy not to exercise faith because we're scared. We don't know what it's going to cost us. We don't know what's going to happen to us. So we, we protect ourselves. And then our muscles of faith, they just atrophy. C.S. Lewis in one place says, the long, dull, monotonous years of middle age make excellent campaigning weather for Christian patients. If you want to destroy their faith, their muscles of faith, just let life happen to them. They'll stop risking. They'll stop hoping. They hoped for stuff when they were young, and then they wisened up. They realized, huh, the world doesn't work that way. They stopped engaging with God. And to all that, the Apostle Paul tells us in our first point, as well as in our seventh, encourage each other and build each other up. These are the antidotes for the kind of apathy and atrophy that come into your life. And he recognizes that this is something that God has given to us all together. It's interesting. The Apostle was formerly someone who made it his mission to destroy Christians. And some, for some of you, that makes sense. You think, that would be a good vocation. Because Christians are nutty. Come on, have you been embarrassed by Christians before and wish someone would destroy them? No, okay, you didn't. Have you been embarrassed by Christians before? Including the one that's sitting in your chair? I have. But the apostle, something happened to him so profoundly. Here he was, he was hell-bent on the destruction of Christians and putting down the church. And then something happened to him. He met this Jesus, which was not to him a fiction. It altered his perception of reality. And he thought, oh my, this Jesus really is the king. God really did raise him from the dead. I saw him after he was raised from the dead. And now the apostle's mission becomes, how do I build up this church? How do I do whatever it takes? How do I employ everything about my mental capacity, my body, my resources, my speech, everything about me is for the building up of this church. He tells several churches in the Corinthian church, he says, I don't want to use the authority the Lord gave me for building you up to tear you down. He gave me authority to build you up. He tells the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, I'm eager to come to you. I keep praying that God's going to make it clear that a ticket's going to come through, that an embargo is going to be lifted, that a passport's going to be made available so that I can get to you and supply what's lacking in your faith. He tells the church at Rome he can't wait to see them so he can impart some spiritual gifts so they can be mutually refreshed. He says that the reason God gifted people in the church, prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors, is so that they could equip God's people for works of service So that the entire body could be built up as each one does its part. So they can grow into maturity and to the knowledge of the Son of God. He has this profound sense that his life is about building up the community. Letting apathy not set in. Letting the natural course of atrophy not come in. And he says, this is why God, if God loves you, he gives you people in charge of your life. And that's why he says, so now we ask you, brothers, respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Think about that for a second. See, the apostle knows that if you're going to encourage each other and build each other up, you've got to have people in your life who know more about you than you do. They know more about what's best for you than you do. When you're young, those people are called your older brother? No, your parents. 
In some households, older brothers assume that, or older sisters. Your parents, they've been given to you, kids. Kids, are you listening to me, kids? Your parents have been given to you because God likes you a whole lot. And he doesn't want you to burn your hand on a stove or to become a fool. So he has given you your parents to tell you things. And you should respect them. You should listen to them. As if God himself were telling you stuff. You believe that? You hear me, kids? MC, you got that? (laughs) All right. The other thing I think about that, you think about in the church, you think about at your job, isn't it it very difficult to kind of respect people who are over you? Part of your apathy, part of your self-protective atrophy is the sense that you are the pioneer and the captain of your future. And so you'll be the one who decides what's best for you, not anyone else. That's a new and novel idea, you know, in the last couple hundred years. This idea that I need to decide for myself. I need to reinvent everything for myself. But what if what if what Paul says here is right? Why don't you just respect and try to submit yourself in some way to people who've been placed over you? Are there anybody? Is there anybody over you? Is there anybody that can tell you anything? And you would listen to it. They would say, this is what I think you should do. And you wouldn't say, no, I'm not listening to anyone. And you just go around from person to person seeking advice, but you won't take anyone's advice? Why? What if God has placed people in your life to tell you things about yourself that everyone else knows, but you do not know? And Paul says, respect these people who work hard among you. And the other thing, you know, C.S. Lewis says this in one place, and I think it rings true today, even though he wrote this probably 50 or 60 years ago. He says, there's a lot of talk today about youngsters and their disrespectful ways. Some of you older people know, kids today. And he says, but as an oldster, he called himself an oldster, which I think is a word. Who hasn't had the opportunity to be at an embarrassing dinner party where there's a parent and a grown child? And to see the kind of incivility, the kind of judgment, the kind of rudeness from the parent to the grown child that in any other instance out in the world would end the relationship immediately. In other words, he's saying, instead of worrying about how respectful kids are, maybe the first place parents should look is how respectful am I of the people that God has placed over me in the world? Do my kids hear me bad-mouthing their coaches, their teachers, their church leaders? Talking about how stupid Pastor Eric is? Huh? God's going to get you if you say that. Do my kids see me yelling at the TV? President Obama? Do my kids see me screaming at people that God, God, not a blip in human history, that God has placed over you in authority? Like your parents, your president, your mayor, your congressman, your teacher, your coach. Do they see us being respectful? See, that's part of recognizing that God is the sovereign king over everything. So all the stuff that happens, the people who are in charge, they're not accidentally in charge. We owe them respect, even if you don't agree with them. You owe them honor. He says, and we urge you, brothers... 
Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See, part of this encouragement that we need is that people have differing kinds of needs. And there's, there, there's a subsection of people that would probably encompass most of us at some time in our lives that need a special kind of encouragement. The, the idle, or your translation would say the disruptive, I think. There are people who like to poke holes, who will not go along, who are just contrarian. And their contrarian, contrarianism is a smokescreen to keep them from commitment. But it's easier sometimes to just avoid a cantankerous person, a person who's so clearly in the wrong. It's easier, isn't it, just to avoid them, to avoid the awkwardness of it, to avoid the potential misunderstanding? But he says, warn them. Love them enough to bother over them. Like you would your kids. A few weeks ago, I was participating in the Vacation Bible School. I played a character called Ezekiel, self-named. I made up the best story that's probably ever been told by any human. You might see it on YouTube or Netflix by now. Thank you. I like it. See, every now and again, someone laughs. It's all a farce. But I did tell a story. My name was Ezekiel. And on my way there, the first day, one of the custodial staff at Lookout Press, the one I did not know, an elderly gentleman, very kind, said, hey, and he came up to me. He called me over, but he, he met me. And I did not know what was going to happen because I never met this man before. But he got up really close to me. And I was like, what's, what's he going to tell me? Did I just win a prize? And he whispered in my ear, uh, your, your barn door is open. Thank, thank, thank. Well, see, that was really helpful. Because that is not a condition that I wanted to walk into Lookout Mountain Prez with. My zipper was unzipped. For those of you who are slow on the euphemisms, my fly was open. Okay, enough of that. But he told me, what an act of love. It would have been easier and less awkward for him not to tell me. He doesn't even know me. But he just bothered over me. He bothered to tell me something that someone needed to tell me. I'm glad he did. And see, that's part of the encouragement. If someone cares about you enough to, to go after you and you're going in the wrong way. You remember I told you the story about the, the elder in our church? They were on the verge of divorce early on, 20 years into marriage. And the wife kept saying, I want to leave, I want to leave, I want to leave, I want to leave. And her parents said, if you leave, you cannot come to our house. Her parents said that. They were Martians. Because they said, you don't have any reason to divorce this man you made vows to for the rest of your life. So you can't come here. We're not going to support you in that. Sorry. They're married today and they like each other a lot. It's a magnificent story of redemption. Because somebody was willing to warn the idol, the disruptive. Someone was able to tell somebody the truth that was hard. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. It's a well-known, well-documented, and well-reported story that as people are more and more connected socially, which is to say not really on social media, they're getting to be more and more lonely. Have you read about these stories that people will charge $75 to $80 an hour to come cuddle you for 30 minutes? Okay, that's weird, first of all. <laughs> Cuddling. just They just want to be loved and 
cuddled, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't recommend this. But the fact that there's a niche for it. There's some awfully lonely people there. And there are people, timid people, little faith people, anxious people, fearful people, neurotic people that you would rather keep away from because they're a kind of a suck on your energy level. But Paul says encourage them. Bring courage into their life. Help build them up by caring about them. It's hard, as you've heard me say before, for people to believe that God loves them if not one person in God's church ever visits them. Who in your life? What, what widow lady? What, what single mom? What, what cantankerous old man? What, what neighbor down the street? Maybe your own parents. Who, who are you just leaving to be by themselves? It says encourage them. Be mindful of them. Let them know they matter. Anne Lamott in one place says, you know what I think God does when He has somebody on His mind? He, he scrolls through His Rolodex. Okay. He goes through His contact list on His iPhone. A Rolodex was the precursor of that. And he, he puts that person on your mind so that no matter how hard you try, you can't stop thinking about them. You can't stop noticing them. And that's part of the way that you, you draw yourself to pick up the 200-pound phone to call them even though you don't want to. Or you write them a note, or you drop them a line, or you take them a meal. Or you listen to them. Because they need it. Because you're God's representative and we're called to encourage each other and build each other up. It's one of the ways that we overcome apathy and atrophy in them and in us. We respect our leaders. We warn the idle. We encourage the timid. We help the weak. We make sure and we, uh, we, we're patient. We're patient with everyone. A few years ago, when I was in high school, when I was in kind of a stage of mutancy, pre-human stage, pod stage, pre- like a hominid, where I had not yet become, I, my body was, I, I was 6'4 already, and, but I, I don't know what was the matter, but my mom would drive me to school in the mornings, before I could drive, and she would talk to me. Dang woman. She would talk to me. She was very cheerful in the morning on the way to school, on her way to work. And she would talk to me. She would ask me questions. She would tell me things. Can you believe this? And so one day, in a high watermark of my character development, I said to this dear woman who had sacrificed so much for me, who had made sure that I had everything I needed to eat and clothes to wear and worked hard to provide for our family and cooked meals for us and did our laundry and drove me to school every morning and then was offending me with her great kindness in the morning. I said, Mom, do you think you could just not talk to me in the mornings? That's all, in the mornings, you know, just not speak to me. Just do everything for me, but please do not speak to me or try to have a relationship with me. Now, I'm imagining now, I never really heard her say anything about this. I'm imagining that was incredibly hurtful. And I, do you think that might be hurtful? It was hurtful. And I'm sure I didn't say it with, like in a Hallmark card kind of way. I'm sure it was gruff and nasty. 
And you know what she did? She was just, she just put up with me. And she just kept on loving me right through this evolutionary development through my Cro-Magnon days to a day when I actually had some kind of care for another human being beside myself. She didn't get on to me. She didn't berate me. She didn't condemn me. She just uh, stopped talking as much. Why should she have done that? I don't know. She was. She loved me. She was patient with me. She was trying to be kind to me because I was obviously defective in some way. I think that's pretty interesting. Well, it seems to me that um, the way that we're able to respect people that God's put over us, to to have this impulse of encouraging the timid, helping the weak, being patient, not paying back wrong for wrong, not thinking of it as our right to, to, to hold on to our resentments, to try to be kind to everyone, to put up with them, and love them through things, even if they seem defective, is goes back to the apostle saying, here's what you have in store. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are asleep or awake, we may live together with him. See, you're somebody, as I am, who has asked God in many, very many ways, will you please not talk to me? Aren't there areas of your life where you would just rather not know what God has to say about it because you don't want to have to do it? You don't want to be inconvenienced. You don't want to be troubled. You don't want to be put out. You have a kind of vision for your life. And you're somebody who's done that a lot. You know what God's done? He's just loved you anyway. And, and Paul says, instead of condemning you, instead of smacking you around, he just kept on driving you to school. And he said, I'm going to sanctify you through and through, and I've called you to myself, and I'm not going to stop. You are the recipient of boundless mercy. You may not always realize it or believe it. But that's part of what Paul's saying. Jesus wants you to live with him because he likes you and he puts up with you and he's going to put you, make you a different kind of person. He's doing it right now. When you realize you've been treated that way, it tends to make you a little bit tenderized to people who don't have it all together, to people who can't get it right. To people who are neurotic or fearful or anxious or mean. Who don't see clearly all the things that you see so clearly. You're someone that God has decided to call to himself and said, I'm sticking with this renovation project till the end. You can stick with other people to the end, can't you? That would be a way of living like no one else. So encourage each other. And build each other up. Amen.